folks. This is your host, Tammy Turner, and you are now listening to the Tierra Talk Show. We bring you rare interviews with the makers of Disney magic. Whether they be singers, actors, Imagineers, animators, they've all made their mark on the Disney name. To find out more about the show and other episodes, head to our official website at www.thetierratalkshow.com. Be sure to look below at the show notes in the show more section for links to our Twitter and Facebook pages, including videos and websites mentioned in the following interview. Photos and audio clips that are featured in the show belong to their rightful owners and are used for educational purposes only. All guests' opinions are theirs and theirs alone and do not represent the opinions of the Tierra Talk Show or the host. The Tierra Talk Show is not associated with the Disney Company. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's episode. And from all of us here at the Tierra Talk Show, have a hoop-de-doo day. That's Welcome this week's Tierra Talk Show guest, former Disney theme park producer Mark Eads to the show. Welcome, Mark. Hello, and how are you? Wonderful. So can you talk a little bit about how you first started working for the Disney company? And Well, I started like a lot of people here in Southern California. I was attending college at, uh, or going to attend college at Cal State Fullerton and came back from our what we called our final family vacation with all six kids and mom and dad and uh, applied for a job at Disneyland. And uh, a few weeks later, I went in and interviewed and I got hired. I started as what's called a casual seasonal on October 12th. And six weeks later, they made me permanent. And I was at Riverbell Terrace at Disneyland. Uh, So, you know, like everybody in Southern California, you work there while you're going to college. I decided to change majors and sort of find my way through college. So I went to night classes for a while. That made me a full-time employee. And after five years, I transferred to operations, or they call it attractions now, and uh, finished up my school. My last two years was basically five units. Uh, An internship, I did reviews of movies for the Daily Titan at Cal State Fullerton, and uh, I had to finish the film. My degree was in communications with an emphasis on film. And the communications degree at Cal State Fullerton is kind of a, at that time, included journalism, radio, TV, film. It was sort of the catch-all for all media stuff. I interned up at the Disney studio the summer of 78 on a couple of films. The key one was The Apple Dumpling Gang Rides Again, which was in production. And I followed that through post-production for a while. And, you know, you make contacts when you try to get into the film business. And the classic beginning in the film business is uh, the mailroom. So I stayed in touch up there and found out they had openings and uh, applied for one, interviewed. And they worked it out as a transfer. So the fall of 79, I transferred to the Disney studio into the mailroom. After a year there, uh, I had been asked to substitute, which is the way they did things, for the production assistant in the animation department. And the head of the mailroom, Shirley Bench, recommended me for it. So I went into that group initially temporarily. And then they liked me so much that even when the original guy came back, they kept me on. Three months later, well, at the time, the animation department was not exactly doing a lot of exciting films. It was the Black Cauldron. They were going through a transition or the transition had started. We didn't know it. 
the wonderful thing about that time was that's when Tim Burton and John Lasseter and Ron Husband and a whole bunch of other, you know, big names in the animation business were just starting out. They had just graduated from CalArts. So I kind of got to know a few of them. I actually have a caricature of me done by Tim Burton. So while I was in the animation department, my boss in the mailroom came over and said, look, I know this isn't the most exciting area for you, but I've heard about a job helping out on the Epcot Center project in post-production. And I said, okay, and went over and interviewed with the guy who was the manager. And he said, yeah, you got the job. And the job started out basically answering phones and dealing with paperwork. As the project rolled on through the summer of 71, you know, I got to know some of the people from WED Enterprises, including Randy Bright and a few others. What became obvious was WED was trying to do things that were very innovative. And the studio, for the most part, except for the machine shop, but the older guys there in the editorial department really didn't understand what we were trying to get done. And that included digital audio mixing, which had never been done before at that point. We were the first to ever mix films with digital audio, and that had never been done. And we also were the first to do video-assisted digital audio because that's how we had to make it work. We had to do a big screening for the Exxon Corporation in 81. I mean, we're over a year out from opening. Um, Randy Bright, he asked me to set it up. And at the time, we had done a just a rough cut of some stuff for what's called the Energy Theater 2 film, which is the modern stuff. Well, so we had the big day of the screening, and he just wanted the two things. But I had gotten to know Randy by then and decided, you know, I'll just have all four films ready for him. So we ran Theater 2, then we ran the finale, and then Randy started talking about how he'd really like to show what we had on the pre-show in Theater 1, but he thought it would take too long. And he goes, Mark, how long it would take you to set up. And I said, Randy, give me a, two minutes to get the projectionist move and we're ready to go. And, it, and it, I guess it stunned him a little bit. And I, and at that point I realized, gee, I maybe showed my boss up, <laughs> even though he wasn't my boss. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of looked at me and then he looked at all these people and he said, you know, what's wonderful about these projects is you learn about people who are really amazing and think ahead for you. Two days later, he walks into the space we had a little office that was mocked up basically out of set pieces where we were working. And he goes, hey, Mark, can I talk to you for a minute? I go, yeah. And how would you like to take things over running post-production for the Epcot Center project? So he goes, what would it take? And I said, well, uh, what I'd really like is a shot to come over to WED and show you guys what I'm capable of doing. You know, give me a year to show you what I'm capable of and doing stuff. And if it doesn't work out, you tell me and I'll leave of my own. And he said, okay, we shook hands. So he went to Ron Miller, and Ron Miller okayed it. I ended up having to hand carry the first and only decent print of Magic Journeys to Epcot and get it running. Stayed there for a few days, and I got a message on the day I was supposed to leave to meet with Randy and Marty, who I'd gotten to know by then. So we talked about all the films at Epcot and the upcoming Tokyo Disney projects, which were still under you know, progress in post-production. And, of course, we were also working on the Horizons Pavilion, which was going to open a year later, and the Journey into Imagination ride, which was not going to open until December. And I said, okay, well, I guess I'm a wet employee now, right? And Randy goes, yep, it's all set up. Talk to so-and-so in the HR department. They've set it up as a transfer. And I transferred to WED, and I stayed there till 93. Did you stay in touch with Randy after you left the Disney company? Well, actually, he passed away. I think it was in either 90 or 91. Um, it was a very tragic accident. Um, he was hit by some young lady going like 80 miles an hour, and he was riding his bike in the bike lane. He was my mentor. Uh, like anyone you work for, sometimes there are things you don't like about him, but he, 
he opened my mind up to new ways of thinking and being an open-minded guy anyway. It was really, I have to say, going to WED in the 80s was a lot of fun. We have many listeners who love everything and anything Star Wars. So I could not not mention Star Tours, and we were just discussing that. So your involvement with the attraction, it seems like you were involved from the very beginning, and you also helped out picking the voice of Rex, who has a lot of fans in the Star Tours community, and he makes a small little appearance in the new Star Tours number two updated version of the ride in the queue area. What was the process of choosing a voice for Rex? Well, it wasn't a much a choice as finding one. Uh, I had also uh, been made the casting director shortly uh, at Exitensio, who had handled it for a long time, uh, who's a Disney legend. He's still alive. X retired, and so Randy decided to uh, throw another job at me, which was to be the casting director for Walt Disney Imagineering, as it was called by then. A lot of times it was easy stuff because, you know, you're basically calling in the person who did the safety spiel to come in and re-record another one because they changed about every six months. Star Tours was tough. We knew we had to get Anthony Daniels for uh, C-3PO, and I made that deal. But the Rex was going to be the star of the show, and we tried a lot of people. As luck would have it, one of the things you did is I would go out and watch different movies, because we all did, and I went to see Flight of the Navigator. You know, the spaceship starts out as kind of dry, computer-like, and it turns into a real nutsy voice. And I go, wow, I think I found my robot voice, right? So I, I, I stayed all the way through like the good film person that I was and watched the credits just to get the name of the voice of the, of the spaceship. And it turned out it was Paul Rubens. Now, at that time, Paul was not as well-known a name. He, uh, the name Paul Rubens, people didn't know about as much. He was actually in production on the first season of Pee-wee's Playhouse. So he wasn't as known a name, right? That we had, got a hold of him on and actually talked to him on the set, on the stage. Now, remember back then, there weren't cell phones. So you called the stage, and you, they called for him and got him, and he agreed tentatively to do it, working out some details, one of which was he wanted to be able to have a pass to go to Disney theme parks for the rest of his life. And uh, we had to work out the details of that. Suffice to say, since they kept the voice in the sequel, he, I think he gets to keep his pass. I'm not sure. But, I, but before we agreed to it, um, and I hadn't called him yet, I, you know, I'd seen that film that night. I went in the next day, and I'd get a hold of Tom Fitzgerald. I was the media producer and casting director. Tom's the show producer. And I just go, Tom, I found our voice. And he goes, what? And I said, I don't care what you're doing. Go over to the movie theater and see Fly of the Navigator right now. And I said, the voice of the spaceship is our voice. And he, so he goes. And... He comes back later and goes, you're right, that's it, book him, Dano. Sent it up to George, and George said, absolutely wonderful. And that's how Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman, became the voice of Rex. You were also the voice casting director for the Great Movie Ride Attraction, which is celebrating its 25th birthday this year, which is so God, exciting. It's been that many years? Yes, it's um, 1989. It's been pretty crazy. And I spoke with Bill Farmer, who is also, as Disney listeners know, the voice of Goofy right. a few years back. And he mentioned that he was the voice of the Cowardly Lion in the Wizard of Oz segment of the attraction, which he I was. had no idea. And I thought that was very interesting. And, <laughs> and that's when he was really kind of getting going in the business. And he had been named the, uh, he had also around that time had been named the official voice of Goofy. My my good fortune was I know Bill well. I knew, uh, God rest his soul, Wayne Allwine and his wife, uh, who were Mickey and Minnie. 
I knew Tony Anselmo. I actually had met Ducky Nash when I was working at the studio, believe it or not. Wow. And that's when Tony was learning to do the voice because Ducky was getting old. The challenge on the great movie ride was finding those sound-alike voices without them being caricatures. And some of it, they actually used the voices from the movies, like Gene Kelly and some others. But a couple of them were difficult. You know, one was John Wayne. We had to find a sound-alike. And you couldn't just go to, like, Rich Little, because that's more caricature, not character. And we tried several people and uh, for John Wayne, including someone the family had suggested who had been with John on several films, and he didn't work. And it was one of those things that, you know, as in conversations with various agents, the word just gets out. I was talking to an agent about just booking them, one of their clients, for just a routine thing. And he said, I heard you're looking for a John Wayne voice. Yeah, do you know any? And he says, no, I don't really have anybody that does one. But I heard about a guy who, 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 and I've been at a party where he does a really good one. And I go, well, who is it? Well, I don't represent him. But you know what? You've been so good to me. I'll be good to you. Send me the sides, which is the script. And I'll, I'll get it to his agent. And we'll see what it does. And so I faxed him over the script. And a few days later, a cassette shows up downstairs for me. And all it says on it is... John Wayne voice. So I go up and I put it in a, my cassette player and, you know, I'd swear to you it was John Wayne talking to me, right? And then all of a sudden he goes, Chad Everett for John Wayne. And it was Chad Everett who was in Medical Center and other movies and TV shows. We sent that off to the family and they blessed it real fast and uh, they brought it, we made a deal to bring him in and he did it. And had the same thing, who's the gangster guy? Um, James Cagney? Yeah, thank you. I don't remember the name. It was Christopher somebody, but we'd had a struggle finding James Cagney's voice. And of course, it had to be okayed by his widow. And then we, you know, I found one. I go, wow, he's really good. So it's okay. Made a copy of the cassette and we sent it off to his widow. And she calls a few days later and says, you know, I had to pull over to the, I was listening to it in the, in the car and I just, I had to pull over to the side of the road to call you. I thought it was James talking to me. And we were like, wow. <laughs> so, oh my goodness. <laughs> and those were really the only two key voices that were a struggle to find. The others, you know, the Cowardly the Lion wasn't hard. And the rest of the voices, some of it were, you know, it was easy. It was just clips from the movies. So you didn't have to do anything. And I didn't have to deal with that. That was more the rights issue person. Sounds like the Wizard of Oz was a big copyright issue around that time because they put the Fantasia. Yeah, I was the one who had to put the Fantasia thing in because of that issue. The scene that we had had was going to take you through the tornado to the land of Oz, right? Mm -hmm. And we had shot it. it. It's done. It's sitting in a vault somewhere at Disney. A producer that I had hired on to staff to help out because we were so busy at the time, her name was Ellen Lichtward, had gotten it done with Bryce Mack and some others. And it was done. Seriously. We're like three months out from opening. It's done. And... Three months out from opening, Eric Jacobson walks into my office and sits down. And I'm like, hi, Eric, how are you? Why aren't you in Florida? Well, we have a couple of issues. And he goes, and we need your help with them, Mark. Okay. And okay, what are they? Well, the first is we have to take the tornado scene out. Why? It's done. It's not that it doesn't work. Yeah, we had wind machines and everything in there. It's a contract issue. So he gave me the you know, the quick running spiel for it. And he says, 
What we think he could do is probably something with the Sorcerer's Apprentice, and he had a little printout of the scene saying, maybe you could figure out a way to put something in there. And I said, okay. Then he had another thing in his hand. I go, and we have another problem. I'm like, well, you're just full of fun, aren't you, Eric? <laughs> and he opened it up, and he had a drawing of the Hollywood sign with a couple of Klieg lights on it. We need a finale for the finale film. I go, what? Because <laughs> I wasn't doing the finale film. They'd contracted to add out Chuck Workman, right? He goes, yeah, what we're finding is we don't have enough up there to run, and we need something that can run up there for a one, to get us started with moving the vehicles out, and two, just be there long enough so that we know we've cleared that space. In other words, they'd not calculated the timing correctly. I go, okay, what do you want? He said, well, we were just thinking maybe a shot of the Hollywood sign with uh, lights going over it. Okay, okay. And he says, well, you actually need to talk to Jeffrey about that one because Jeffrey's got approval on this. Okay, I'll... He says, Jeffrey Katzenberg, correct? Yeah, I go, okay. And he goes, yeah, you're on your own. I'm going home. I mean, I'm going back to Florida. You call so-and-so for, you know, a production number because you're just going to have to go and do. Okay. This is three months out from opening. You know, I had to suddenly, I had to get a, about a 60-second film done for, the, for what was going to be the tornado. And I had to get the ending produced to the finale film. Otherwise, it would just end on music. And mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah. man. So I made a call to Jeffrey's office and said, I really need to see Jeffrey about such and such. Eric had already called and let him know that I would be calling. And I said, okay, you can see Jeffrey at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. The next call I made was to Don Hahn, uh, who was you know, over at the studio. And I said, I need your help. And he says, okay, what can I do for you? I said, can I come over and see you right now? And he says, yeah, because at that time, Disney Animation was across the street. Uh, and I was in the 1401 Flower Street building on the second floor, and I just walked down the stairs, went across the street, saw Don. I said, this is what they want, and we need to get the produced. And I, and I had already found out what the length needed to be. It needs to be a so-and-so long loop. And the thinking is it can be reanimated. So, yeah, we reanimated Fantasia. Never been done, right? And he says, okay, let me go look around and see what we've got. He actually found the original animation uh, story of uh, animation drawings in the morgue, got them, got an animator to animate it as a loop, got some effects animation done with the to continue it, and basically we used that original animation and we redid it into caps and turned that into a loop, and, and Don got it done in about a month. Wow. I mean, it was just basically go. He brought me over boards. I said, that looks great. He just, because I didn't have to get approval on that one. I just said, yeah, go, because I knew it would be right. Don was going to do right by it, and he got it drawn and all of that and produced, and we got it there. The Hollywood sign was a little bit of a different story. I went over to Jeffrey and you know, had to come in early the next morning to the studio lot and meet with Jeffrey, and I said, this is what they want to do. And he looks at it and goes, Klieg lights on the Hollywood sign, that's it? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, I go, yeah. And he goes, well, what do you think? And I said, well, if you're having a finale film – you don't really want static, which is Klieg lights going over. And he goes, I absolutely agree. We need to have something that moves onto the Hollywood sign because the music's this big fanfare and all of this and maybe going across L.A. and all of this kind of stuff. And he makes a call to a guy who worked over in marketing, great guy. He brings him right over that, at, right at that minute, you know. Jeffrey and I start talking while he's waiting on him to come over. And I go, yeah, it'd be really cool if, if you did like a flyover of L.A., like you're searching for the sign, and then we key it with the music, and we start having some clean lights go on. We see the sign, we zoom in on it, and then we 
land almost like a helicopter in front of it, and the Klieg lights keep going. That way we can cycle it in. He goes, that's perfect. And I just, he says, describe it to him. And I'm finishing this description as he's coming in, and I do. And he goes, okay, you two go work it out and come back in a day and show me your boards. <laughs> okay, so I go back to his office, describe it again. He takes notes. He says, okay, I'll call you in the afternoon. I go away. I come, he calls me. and says, here, I got some stuff. I look at it. I make some comments. He changes some things. I, we, make the, we already have the appointment to see Jeffrey the next morning at 6 a.m., right? We go in and see Jeffrey. He looks at it. He makes some comments. We make some changes. And he goes, Mark, go produce this. And so then I have to go find a company to produce it. So I called around to a couple of the CG shops I knew. I had met Larry Lamb of Larry Lamb and Company out of uh, Minnesota. And he said, let's go. Um, so I sent it to him. I did a couple trips to Minnesota. We did most of the stuff via video. Got comments from Jeffrey, got it approved, and I still delivered it about three weeks ahead of, of opening. I have three more questions that I always okay. ask my Disney guests. First, we'll start with the Donald one, which is, as a child, what Disney film would you always like to watch over and over again? Oh, I don't remember the name of it, but it's the one with Pluto with the flypaper. I just love the fact that it's all nonverbal and it's funnier than heck. I have an appreciation for nonverbal action, particularly humor. And our goofy question, which is, what Disney character do you think would be your best friend if you met them in person? Probably Goofy. I, and I actually played Goofy when they were first coming out with the sport Goofy concept, because I was the tallest and skinniest guy at the Disney studio when they were developing it. So they had me wear the costume for a few days. So I have an affinity for Goofy. The Mickey question is, if I asked you to name any Disney song at this very moment, what immediately comes to mind? <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> Probably When You Wish Upon a Star. I just, for some reason, that's always in the head whenever you think Disney. I have to admit that, yeah, I worked on uh, The Golden Dream, uh, you know, obviously several times through the 97 update. I, I mean, the 93 update. Uh, I really enjoy that song. I think uh, it's one that deserves some airplay out there because it's just such a beautiful song. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. And are you doing any other projects that you would like to tell the listeners about so they can check them out? Well, I'm not working as active in the theme park business right now. I'm um, on a volunteer basis. I'm helping out the Disneyland Alumni Club, which is for anybody who worked at Disneyland or on any of the West Coast uh, Disney companies uh, who didn't necessarily go all the way to Golden Ears, but worked there, loved when they worked there, and moved on with their lives. It's our way of letting them stay in touch, and we're, staged, we're staging a lot more reunion events uh, since I've come on board. And one of our biggest events is going to be next year on August 1st, when the Disneyland Alumni Club will have its gala anniversary in celebration of Disneyland's 60th birthday. And I can't tell you who the guests are going to be. We've locked down most of them at this point. But anybody who's a Disney fan and worked at the park will really enjoy it. That's wonderful. Thanks again for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you.